Welcome to the People of Canterbury Baptist, the podcast where we meet the people of Canterbury Baptist Church in Melbourne, Australia, hear their stories and explore ideas relevant to our church and community. My name is Stephen, and for today's episode, let's conclude our conversation with Pete. Hey, Pete, welcome back to the People of Canterbury Baptist podcast. Why, thank you. (laughs) I'm comfortable. You are comfortable now. It takes one conversation for people to settle in, and then uh, then they're ready to go. Um, thanks for thanks for for being part of this, and um, thanks for just allowing us to continue to explore something of your journey. We took you up to university, so you're still now in university. But the, I guess the question I like to start this conversation with is: Let's talk a little bit about your faith during your your university years. Did did you, did you continue to attend church? What was your sort of faith escape like in your university years? Yes, um, so I'd um, uh, I'd been baptised at Boleyn when I was about eighteen, I think. So just just kind of at the might the end of my top kind of year, um, and then uh, uh, and the Christian Union at at Swinburne was a big um, uh, influence on me. I mean the the youth group at Boleyn was very good there was a, a you know quite a large youth group of people about my age uh, and a bit older and a bit younger some of them, and some other musicians and stuff so people that I got on well with um and we did uh you know the youth group uh at Boleyn did a lot of kind of camps and and uh helping people and and that kind of stuff so and then when I went to Swinburne the Christian Union there the 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 worker for the Christian Union was a guy called Peter Leslie from AFES. He's still um, with AFES now, these years later. And he, um, yeah, he really challenged me in, in parts of my faith and that sort of thing, and it helped me grow in my faith quite significantly. Can, can I probe that a little bit? What, what like, without getting personal, but nonetheless, what, what were the kinds of challenges that you found to be very helpful and fruitful for you at that age as you're processing faith for you? Um, well, he he challenged me on some of my political and um, kind of religious views about whether they were um, uh, whether I was doing them for the right reason. You know, um, I remember somebody I used to know used to say to me, "You believe things just because everybody else doesn't," you know, and things like that, which wasn't true. I could completely rationally justify what you know I believed, and this is both religious wise, but also you know ethically and you know who I thought was a good musician and all that kind of stuff and, you know, all that sort of stuff, politically as well, obviously. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, yeah, and, um, uh, yeah, but it, the Christian Union was very good. I, I or There were a couple of people in the Christian Union that I'd known before I went to Swinburne and we became particularly good friends and things like that. And, um, but, yeah, it was just uh, so that I um, – and I was moving – I was moving away from Boleyn at that stage. So it's sort of um, uh, the, the Christian Union was very good for me in that that sense. So did you find as you were being pushed to think more deeply about po- political and theological questions, did you find yourself um, uh, changing your, uh, your your core beliefs and did that sort of shift your relationship with the church? I became more nuanced, I suppose. I, d- I didn't really change much of what I actually believed, um, but I became better at thinking why I believed it. So it it challenged me to to, in a sense, back up what I believed in a more 
um, a more a more thoughtful way rather than just more a more radical way in that sense. Um, can you identify a moment in which you and, and this may even be prior to university years, so we could be going back in the story a little bit here, but can you identify a moment where faith in Jesus became something uh, specifically p- uh, personal to you as opposed to necessarily something you did because your parents went to church or, or other reasons such as that? Yes, I have a specific memory of, uh, of when I was about 15 of thinking that, yes, I'm going to become a Christian and, uh, and you know, I prayed the prayer and this was, you know, not at some big thing or anything like that. It was literally just in my my bedroom. I just knew that, that you know, I reached a point where this was what I believed and I went and had believed it. I didn't um, – it, yeah, that's, I remember that distinctively and it was that that ultimately led to me being baptised. Also, just if I could – Pick, pick up a slightly different tangent from some of the things you've been saying. I get the impression that you may have had a bit of a reputation in, th- in your university years of being somewhat of a contrarian. Everyone says, right, you go left and all that sort of stuff. Is that a fair representation of, of what you may have been like in those years? It, it would be a, fa- a fair representation of what other people thought, yes. <laughs> uh, because I did also pick up what you said about you. You actually did think different, uh, think deeply about things. So in your mind, it, you weren't being contrarian. You were actually being quite rational and thoughtful. Correct. Um, uh, Post university, what did you do with your uh, your politics and media degree? Uh, so I, because I was involved in the student union, I got a job at the uh, because I was involved in the student union at Swinburne where I studied. I got a job in the student union at La Trobe. Um, uh, literally, like I finished my degree in kind of October, early November. And I started at La Trobe University on the 21st of December, 1986. I remember it well. Doing what for the, for the La Trobe Student Union? I ran, I ran the contact office, which was kind of an, a, um, an information service kind of thing. So it was in the, in the centre of the, the university and we told people where – it had three or four things that it, we told – people about where things were and ran activities and the big thing that we did and that I went straight into, I was thrown into, was a thing they had called the host scheme. And so on during the orientation week, we would put uh, groups of people together and a an older student would take them around, you know, from each faculty and show them where everything was and that sort of thing. And so the person uh, – and, of course, this took place on – on about the 17th or 18th of February. And, of course, so I started on the 21st of, of December and they said, this is what you'll be doing for the next two months. Um, and I, that's what I did for the next two months. And and then during the year, we you know, we did lost property and we did activities and, and all that kind of stuff. But it was mostly an information, you know, thing where we told people where things were and we um, people would ask questions about, you know, how, how does the, you know such and such work, or how do I leave, you know withdraw from a subject and all that kind of thing? In broad details, can you just trace your sort of career path from that point? Yeah, sure. So I did that for about three and a half years, maybe close. It was close to four, and then I was seconded to um, the the student finance office. Um, for six months, and then I got that job ongoing. Um, and then 
uh, what? Then the person that was, uh, so I was the assistant student financial advisor or something. And then the student financial advisor, or the head of the office left. And then I was promoted to run that office. And then they took in, uh, then a few couple of years later, they, the, the housing office was combined with it. And so I was running the, the student accommodation and financial services office, SAFSO as it was called. Uh, and I did, and so that, so the combination of the time I was at La Trobe, I was there for about 14 years. And then I, I went to what the same uh, the same organisation I'm with now. It had a different name there. In 2000, I went to the Welfare Rights Unit as their coordinator, and I've been in various positions there ever since. It's now Social Security Rights Victoria, but that's yeah. So, so just once again, just broadly speaking, in in your current position, um, social welf- welfare rights. What is it that you actually oversee? What broadly speaking uh, is the work that you focus on? Yeah, so I have effectively two roles. Um, one is that I'm uh, one of the I do intake. So when people ring up, um, I book people in and give them, and I do basic advice. So people ring um, and that sort of thing, and then I book people in to talk to the lawyers. Um, I'm one of the two or three non-lawyers that work there. It's mostly a legal practice, and then I have an administration role. So I'm I'm responsible for um, a lot of the the workers and uh, sorry, you know the the people we work with, so the, the IT people and the cleaners and we rent space from Fitzroy, uh, Fitzroy Legal Service and, and they rent space from Yarra Council and all that kind of stuff. Um, when did you first come to Canterbury Baptist Church? Uh, when I was about 21, so about 1985. And what dragged you here? Uh, a young woman. What else? Oh, hey. hey. Yes. <laughs> well, why else do you change churches <laughs> when you're 21? <laughs> <laughs> uh, except you've stuck around. It's true. So, what was the connection point to the congregation itself? Um, I just, I really liked the congregation here. the The church I'd come from, Berlin, was much bigger, um, and the, this was a much smaller church, and I, I liked it more here. Um, I liked the people. Uh, yeah, and uh, it was just, it was, it was a good fit for me. Um, uh, I hadn't been here very long when the the older couple who were running the youth group said, we don't want to run the youth group anymore. We want to have children. You can, why don't you have a think about running the youth group along with my then girlfriend? Um, and so we then started running the youth group and that was kind of, you you know, you wake up one morning and think, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, and you've continued to be quite active in the church um, all the way through. So you're actively involved in the music team. Uh, so this is your this is your musical side continuing to be expressed through the music team, our youth leadership, um, and then uh, up to and including being the church's treasurer, so bringing your structured thinking uh, into the church through being uh, through being the treasurer. So so you do have actually quite a deep uh, engagement in 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 the, in the church. Um, the uh, and also I've discovered you you seem to have an almost photographic memory of the history of Canterbury Baptist Church, including events that took place before you were born. 
Um, how, how is it that you just gleaned all these stories? Now, we haven't told any of the stories on the podcast, but if anyone at Canterbury Baptist Church just wants to casually come up to you one day and ask you some questions about the history of the church, you are remarkable in your ability to pull that information down. Uh, well, start with I've read the, the official church history, <laughs> uh, uh, but also just um, uh, in a lot of cases I've been cleaning things up at various stages and you say to somebody, what's this? They go, oh, that's from such and such and that sort of thing. Um, but also because when I, there were, um, when I was here for about the first 10 years, the, there was a lot of the, the people who had been here for a num- you know a long time was still here and they would talk about it a bit you know oh yes I was in the I was in the baseball club or I was in the footy club you know and that kind of thing but it's yeah it's just um, one of those things it's you know it it, uh, it interests me the sort of things that the church has been involved in so if anyone wants to learn more about the Canterbury Baptist Church baseball club then uh, then maybe you could be the first port of call for them to learn more about that yes. Uh, uh, as I said, I think we had one, and and that and somebody I'm sure told me about it, in the, you know, in the nineteen, you know, the, that we had it in the 1950s. But I really don't know anything much more about it than it might have existed. Yes. Now it was a young lady who dragged you off to this church, but as I understand it, you've you've never been married. Correct. Um, is uh, is that? I guess the the question bluntly is that is that by choice or is that just more through life circumstance? Uh uh, oh, now you're really asking a question. Um, uh, let's just say life circumstances. Cool. Um, how how do you find being a single person within a church community when there is often so much emphasis put on families and couples within a church community? I am deeply grateful for my situation that I'm in. I'm not the slightest bit bothered by um, by that sort of thing, but. Let's be honest. It's easier to be a single male, I reckon. You know, it's a, um, yeah. It's just one of those things. It's that's the way it worked out. Uh, you know, I had a couple of girlfriends. It was a good thing in reality that I didn't marry either of them, uh, and that sort of thing. And now, you know, it's that's the past now. It's important to sort of say that both of those relationships were more than half my life away now. Mm. So it's you know I've had a. I've had half my life without that kind of thing happening. So, um, you also mentioned in passing that you got to be on the executive was the executive council of the Baptist Union. So basically, you sat around the big table that uh, helps to oversee the entire union of churches that we're a part of. How did you get to sit at that table? Okay, so there were a couple. Um, so I can't remember why originally. Uh, that is, I'd been. Uh, I'd been a deacon here for a few years and um, I wanted to do something a bit different and uh, and I heard about there being a, a spot open on executive council and I vaguely knew um, uh, Trevor um, Spicer um, who who was the one of the, the people that in the Baptist Union and I asked him about it and he said oh well, <laughs> I still remember the conversation. It's quite funny. He said, oh, we're looking for women from the western suburbs. I said, well, I don't really meet that criteria. <laughs> he said, but you can put your hat in the ring. He said, "He said, the, what I do need to tell you is that it, it will be a contested election. There, there's somebody else that's applying. And I should have just said, yeah, whatever, forget it. But they went, had the election anyway. I didn't win. Um, uh, 
So I thought, oh, well, it's not meant to be and sort of forgot about it. A year later, the phone rings and it's Trevor going, uh, you know how you're interested in executive council? I said, yeah. He said, we have a vacancy now. <laughs> and so I joined executive council. I was the head of the audit and finance committee of the Baptist Union, which in any other Baptist Union in Australia, I would have been the treasurer, interestingly enough, because in the, the same position in each other Baptist Union in Australia, the person is called a treasurer. I wasn't, whatever. Um, and, yes, so I was on executive council for for nine years in the end, uh, two four-year terms and an extra year. So a couple of things. First is this idea of being a finance person, treasurer, so treasurer of the church, effectively treasurer of the Baptist Union, um, so you went on to executive council. They saw you as a person to give this 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 role to. Um, where did that confidence come from? I've not heard anything in your education or even particularly in your work experience that would that would lend itself to a treasurer path. So where did this come from? Um, yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. I've never really thought about it a lot. Um, a couple of things. Uh, my dad was a maths teacher when I was a kid. And so um, I've always been pretty good at arithmetic and stuff. Um, and then I did some accounting at high school or at the community school technically. Um, and so I just got a bit interested. And then what happened was I was a member of an, a local amnesty group in Doncaster when I first started work. And I went along to a meeting and they said, oh, we're looking for a treasurer. And I said, well, what's involved? And they said, oh, well, you just need to go to the bank and write some stuff out. And I said whatever, I can do that. And they said, oh, good, we haven't had a treasurer for a year and a half. So I took that on. Um, and then once you sort of do it once and you think, yeah, whatever, you know, this is, I mean, this was before Excel and things like that, you know. So, so um, uh, And then with things like Excel and stuff like that, you know, I then went on, I was the, I was the treasurer of a, a local habitat group a bit later. Um, and then... Uh, and I, I had, of course, because I ran student finances, we had a loan fund at, at La Trobe. So whilst I didn't do the accounting for it, you know, there was always financial reports and stuff like that um, uh, and that sort of thing. And so it's just one of those things that I thought, you know, it just, it was an area that I just, you know, and I've all, despite, you know, and what I say, being able to do administration has never been a problem for me. I mean, in all of my jobs, I've had secretarial roles and things like that. I've been, the, I was the church secretary here for, for nine years. Um, uh, at one stage when I was, one stage I was the secretary and the acting treasurer and then I swapped over and became the treasurer and the acting secretary. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, so it was just... There's an old flash in the pan song, and it's just it's sort of summed up in the title. It's called "Money Don't Lie," and it's it's a song, of course, about how you know romance and things can go sour, but earning money in a sense can't. Now, of course, it can. We all know that it can go wrong, but they they experienced the fact that the one thing they could rely on was if they got paid, they got paid, and uh, and and in a sense. <laughs> To put crudely, it was it's easier. I find it easier to deal with money than I do with people's emotions and stuff, you know. And in my work, sorry, in my work, uh, the main thing that we do is aim is ensure that people have income. That's the the priority of our the work we do. What people then do with their income, in a sense, is up to them. 
but but it's the lack of income and not being able to pay your things that, that really distraught, you know, disturbs people's lives. Um, so, yeah, so the finance thing, yeah, it's just one of those things. It just it fitted with the sort of stuff I did. Um, yeah, but it, as I said, you know, because this amnesty group didn't have anyone to do it and, you know, I thought, yeah, whatever, I can do that. It, um, and that's the way it kind of started. So sitting on executive council, you get to, to get to peek behind the curtain about what really goes on in Baptist churches. So once again, without breaking confidentialities, but uh, has that experience changed your perception of what churches are like or has it shifted your thinking in ways? Do you, do you bear scars from that experience or is it generally a joyful one for you? Oh, no, I, I quite enjoyed my time on executive council. Um, uh, I was going to... Uh, you do four four year terms, I think, maybe three year terms. I think no, I think they're four year terms. And I did two terms, and I was coming to the end of my second term, and I was thinking, in a sense, the same way I felt about church. I'm really, you know, this is time. And they actually asked me to stay for another year while they made some changes to the, the thing. Um, there's an old joke about, you know. Um, if there are two Baptists, there are three opinions <laughs> yes. um, or three worldviews, and it's a bit like that. Uh, the Baptist Union, you saw both the really good stuff um, and you saw some pretty, pretty, you know, pretty sad in reality, um, some some bad things. Obviously, there was bad things, and this this was when, it, towards the end, was when the, the stuff about child abuse was starting to appear. Um uh, but you, you know, in the mo rather than you know, whilst there was some bad stuff, I mean, you saw a lot of really good stuff too. You know, churches that were opening up where there were no other churches and things like that, and um, and yeah, and uh, outreaches that were really good and and stuff that that sort of thing. So there were a lot of really good things happening, and um, and particularly um, back then, uh, outreaches to people like the the Karen community and stuff like that. Um, so there was a lot of that, and of course um, the South Sudanese, of course, who you know we had uh, some here, and, and but yeah, and that sort of stuff. So there was there was lots of good stuff that we saw as well. But Executive Council part of the stuff is dealing with the what is often more case the sad stuff rather than that sort of thing, including you know issues to do with pastors, but also people who hadn't been successful in uh, applying for ordination and things like that. You know, so. Um, were there particular themes or ideas or thoughts that you've taken away from that experience that you you think is valuable for all Baptist churches to to to, to think about, or ideas that came out of your experience there that you thought actually, you know, I, th- I think it is important for Baptist churches to be aware or be thinking about such and such or such and so because of what you got to see and be a part of on that council. <sighs> Yeah, I, I think the real issue is um, to never believe you're infallible. <laughs> that is, um, uh, the, the, yeah, this is a journey we're on. Um, and if you think you've reached the end of the journey, then you've probably made an error. Um, and I go back to the, the stuff about, you know, Jesus talking about that he's a servant. And if you if you start from a servant point of view, 
you you often it's when you move away from thinking that in a sense the community and that you know both in a in a sense of a church community or you know another church, you know or uh, and that sort of thing um uh, when you think you're you're more important than the community that's where the issues tend to to, to go wrong and that that can be done both by an individual or a group of people but it can also be done by churches as a whole and and yeah um, and that's something that's kind of important um you have quite a music collection do you have any idea how many songs you have in your collection um the technical answer is kind of that is I bought. I bought 16 32 gigabyte MP3 players and I already had 15 of them because I one day worked out that if each song is is 10 to 10 megabytes yeah this was how many I in order to put my entire collection uh, digitize my entire collection which I now have done um um uh and put them onto MP3. So yeah. So do the maths for us. How many yeah. songs do you think that is? So basically, it's it's about it's about I think it's about two and a half thousand. Two and a half thousand songs in total. Yeah. Um, do you collect a particular genre? Is there a kind of a narrow particular f- of musical genre that you're focused on? Ah, uh, yeah. It's mostly Oz rock. So Australian music from the 1970s and 80s. Um, and the music that those people went on to make later. So I still buy music that comes out now. It's just by people that originally came out in the 1980s and things. <laughs> and w- w- what was it that grabbed you about about Oz Rock of the 80s and their ongoing musical journeys? Because oh, they were the they were the local musicians and stuff. You could actually go. And I remember once going to Auburn Station, Auburn Station, no Hawthorne Station. Um, for a thing called Rock on the Rails, and the train pulled up, and Paul Kelly and the Dots played a a thirty minute set, and then the train went on to somewhere else and played another one. <laughs> and so, I'd always been interested in in kind of local music, um, you know, Australian music and stuff. So, you know, I watched a lot of Countdown and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's, I mean, I, I have other music and that sort of thing, but it, it's mostly. It's mostly Australian music and from musicians from that period of time. So, you know, people like Midnight Oil and Paul Kelly and John English and people like that. Um, Pete, really, really just enjoyed this conversation, be able to just track through your career and through your involvement in the church and your hobbies and interests. Um, I guess just before we draw this conversation to a close, I just want to sort of give you a bit of an open mic moment. So here you are talking to the congregation at Canterbury Baptist Church at this particular moment in in our history and in our time, and you've had a long 35-year connection with this particular congregation. Are there any just – anything you'd like to say? It could be anything by way of just a thanks or encouragement or maybe just a a caution or things you've seen go wrong in other places that you just want to draw to our attention. So the floor is completely open as to what direction you want to take that. But uh, is there anything in particular that might come to your mind that you'd just like to to, to say almost as a parting word to the congregation for our conversation today? Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that. Um, I guess it's really just I think Canterbury's at its best when it's a community and when it, it reaches out and helps 
it helps people both within itself and externally. And uh, and the, the classic example of that that I see that you know I'm a bit involved in is servants. You know, and I just really love the work we we do with them, uh, and those, those guys who. Uh, the thing that I and I've said this before, the thing that's most sobering for them is they're mostly my age. They're guys about my age, and I think, you know, there's a, a guy I work with, and he who's a financial counsellor um, who's worked with homeless people for a long time, and he talks about there being three errors between us and being homeless. And I look at some of these guys and they've had, in some cases, it wasn't even errors. It was just bad luck or something. So, but so yeah, it's when, when the church, you know, when Canterbury does that kind of stuff that I'm, I'm most, most pleased with it. Let's just say. Pete, as Pete, it's been an incredible joy. Thank you for taking this time. Thank you for being so open with your story and allowing us to just track the, uh, the, the contours of your life. So thank you so much for giving us this time. No worries. And thank you to everyone who has tuned in to listen. This podcast is produced and presented by Stephen Field on behalf of Canterbury Baptist Church, Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email cbc at canterburybaptist.org. If you're a member or regular attender of this church, how about you get in touch with Pete directly and thank him for his contribution today. The music is a song, The First Step, by Andrew Naylor from his album, Two Stones. This album is available wherever you purchase or stream your music. Join us next time as we continue our chats with the people of Canterbury Baptist. Canterbury Baptist.